0: the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New
1: South Wales.
2: Hello again and welcome to the show coming up. Well, last year new agreements were signed up for 91,000 hectares of farmland to the Biodiversity Conservation Trust to protect at-risk plants and animals. We'll hear more about that shortly. Also, the most comprehensive survey into farm crime suggests farm thefts are up.
3: It's not isolated to New South Wales and Victoria, not by a long shot. And so we wanted to try to understand this issue on a national level and really, really collect that important data that will help us address the issue in other states where we really have a a dark figure and and no clear understanding of the problem in these areas but we know anecdotally and we know from victim experiences uh, covered in the media and addressed by the police that that it's a it's a it's a big issue for farmers uh, all around Australia.
2: A big issue for farmers maybe you would like to let us know about uh, farm theft in your neck of the woods maybe it's happened to you uh, you can send us a text zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. That's the number to text me here at the Country Hour. Maybe also you've also thought about signing up for the Biodiversity Conservation Trust as well. Uh, not a record ninety one thousand hectares of farmland uh, signed up to the trust. This year, zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. that's the number to text me here at the Country Hour. We'll start with that story because farmers are doing their bit to help the environment. Uh, 91,000 hectares signed up last year. It's a record to the Biodiversity Conservation Trust. Essentially, the trust paying farmers to protect endangered plants and animals. In total, since its inception, the trust has 450 farmers involved in protecting Biodiversity. Erin Giuliani is the CEO of the New South Wales Biodiversity Conservation Trust. She says this year farmers are so keen to sign up the tenders that they've actually been oversubscribed and they're seeing an increase in farmer numbers as a result.
1: We are, Michael. We're seeing um, an increase year on year, and as you will have read, last year was a great year for the Biodiversity Conservation Trust. Uh, we signed up a number of new landholders to funded agreements um and in total as as is indicated around ninety one thousand hectares uh, protected for um the biodiversity value on that land and we're expecting that to continue uh, this financial year and we have a number of um, agreements as it as it were in in the pipeline as you could say um, so definitely and, and if i think about our our programs when our teams out there in the regions our local um, landholder support officers are out there with a particular offer or tender in a region. We're definitely seeing oversubscription of our um, of our programs, which is excellent to see. So the demand is certainly there, and and the interest levels are there and. Landholders are certainly um, really keen to work with the Biodiversity Conservation Trust to protect important biodiversity on their land.
2: Yeah, that's right. There does seem to be a willingness to get involved because uh, farmers, they say they do a lot of this uh, preservation of uh, important native species uh, anyway, and why shouldn't they get paid for it?
1: Yes, that, that's exactly right and, and there are, as I said, you know, the demand's really high and there's definitely landholders out there who are already doing this work and through a competitive tender that the BCT might run, uh, then you know, there are people who inevitably inevitably miss out as well. So um, there is certainly a great deal of interest in protecting, you know, in, endangered species on, on private land and we've got some fantastic land stewards out there in the regions and, if listeners are interested, our our website does detail some really nice case studies as well, showing how uh, farmers and landholders are, are balancing their agricultural efforts um, as well as their conservation efforts on, on their land.
2: Are we talking about just plant species, or are we talking about uh, flora and fauna? You know, and 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 what sorts of uh, critical things are you trying to preserve?
1: Yeah, look, we're talking about uh, both, really. So. Um, over the coming period, we'll be running a tender um, that looks at protecting threatened ecological grassy um, grassy communities in the southeast, so that one's um, coming up um, in this financial year. And um, we have in the past run uh, tenders that have been focused on protecting important koala habitat in the northern inland. Um, we've also... On
2: private farms
1: on private farms. We've also recently in the Murray Riverina looked at a um, an offer that's focused on remnant woodlands and restoration. Um, and in the Lower Clarence Valley, um, we ran a successful offer that's focused on native coastal floodplain. Um, last year, we completed some work in the Darling River, and that one's just coming to finalisation now, and that was focused on protecting critical wetlands and vegetation communities of high conservation value But those areas provide important habitat for migratory birds and, you know, can be seen as drought refuge to threatened species such as pink cockatoos and Australian um, bustards. And it's also home to threatened ecological communities like the Koolabar black box woodland. So, you know, you get a sense that it's both flora and and fauna and um, protecting those habitats sometimes is um, critical for, you know, migratory birds as well as um, uh, fauna that's there. on on people's farms and and uh, private land,
2: ninety one thousand hectares. I mean, that would that uh, number would be dwarfed by the amount of land that's uh, you know uh, uh, under national parks throughout New South Wales. Why is why is it better to preserve these things on farm than say sitting in up a national park? I mean, uh, 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 what's the rationale there?
1: yeah look not, not necessarily better, you know we would say that protecting biodiversity on private land complements the um, the parker estate. Um, why it's important, I suppose is seventy percent of New South Wales is in private hands, and so New South Wales government recognised that you know to make a meaningful impact on protecting biodiversity in New south Wales, the key is um, is also on private land as well so uh, ninety-one thousand hectares in in one year is a is a fantastic effort. There's more, you know. There's more to do, and that's why we're really pleased that the Biodiversity Conservation Trust is funded to continue uh, into the future.
2: Yeah, and when does the money run out? I mean, how 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 many hectares would you would you have under the trust? You know, as a maximum. You know, when do you run out of money?
1: Yeah, look, we wouldn't set a, a maximum necessarily, but we since we came into fruition in in twenty seventeen. Um, we've roughly added 250,000 hectares to the um, to the private land conservation estate. Um, so
2: 91,000 um, in a year—that's a that's a big increase.
1: That's a big increase, and and of that amount that I just quoted, uh, roughly 200,000 has been added in in perpetuity. So agreements that are secured on title on the land forever. Um, in terms of the funding, we're we're funded by the New South Wales uh, government. Um, to 2030, um, and we, you know, we would hope that that funding would would extend beyond that time frame. So, uh, a really important reform of the New South Wales government uh, was to invest in private land wow. conservation, and, and since that investment, um, we can confidently say that the Biodiversity Conservation Trust has been meeting and exceeding its targets and we've got a four-year uh business plan that we're roughly halfway through and that that four-year plan set us a target to achieve roughly another two hundred thousand hectares we're well on track for that um so yeah looking forward to continuing the uh the, the growth that we're seeing and and that's contingent on on that interest that you described earlier michael from landholders themselves who may be already doing this work and are interested to uh, sign up to the trust as, as a means to uh, supporting that work with a with a funded agreement
2: and roughly how many farmers are we talking about involved in total
1: in total we um, we have roughly 450 uh, landholders that have um, entered into an agreement with the biodiversity trust since 2017 um, however landholders have been doing this work and and um, under previous legislation, um, you know there, there were agreements already uh, signed up to by, by landholders so in total there's roughly 2,000 agreements but the Biodiversity Conservation Trust came into fruition as I said in 2017 and we've added around 450 landholders to that cohort of, um, of people who are doing excellent work out there on their own property.
2: Erin Giuliani, CEO of New South Wales Biodiversity Conservation Trust. So 450 since the inception in 2017, 2,000 in total because, of course, there were uh, bodies prior to the the trust that were uh, charged with uh, uh, that uh, holding the land in perpetuity for biodiversity as well prior to the trust being set up in 2017. And uh, Erin also said she wanted to make it clear that even though the funding is uh, a guarantee to 2030 that uh, even if the trust doesn't go beyond that, and no suggestion it might might uh, finish at 2030, but if it did, uh, that uh, anyone who's signed up is signed up in perpetuity. So that would mean that it doesn't finish at 2030 for those people as well. They're signed up. Uh, for the Trust and for their biodiversity beyond that, beyond the existence of the Trust. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's uh, coming up to uh, 15 minutes past 12. Uh, you might have some experience of the Trust or have thought about it, uh, thought about putting out some of the, your land uh, to the Trust and uh, uh, getting some funds as a result of that to look after it. Zero four six seven nine double two six eight four is the number to text me here at the Country Hour about your experience, if you've uh, thought about it or looked into
4: it. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to the Country
1: Hour.
5: On ABC Radio, New South Wales.
2: Some of the best Scottish Angus bloodlines will be mixing with a hunter beef operation soon as Gloucester's Macca Pastoral embarks on an international partnership. The Mackenzie family is linked up with the Scottish operation... Operation Rawborn Angus to keep building the sustainability of their genetics. You may recall big investments into two bulls at Worry Elder's main families, Texas Angus Iceman and Thunderstruck, which sold for 225000 and 360000 respectively. But as Director of Macca's Australian Black Angus Beef, Rob McKenzie, explains to Amelia Bernasconi, the genetic base has been going global.
6: Dad has always wanted to travel back to Scotland and also Ireland and trace our family history. And, and Dad did it last year at 85 and spent six weeks over there and had a great time. We actually found out that we uh, we descended from fishermen. That was our forte, so we've gone from, uh, from fish to beef, so that's pretty good, isn't it? Still in the food chain. <laughs> And we've been lucky enough that we're sending genetics into Europe uh, and also the UK. And a part of that uh, trip was to go and thank the people that have put trust in our genetics, um, thank them for their loyalty. And that's probably where, what uh, brought us to where we are today with uh, Raw Burn Angus.
0: If we could, Robert, just touch on the genetics that you have been uh, exporting around the world. These, of course, come back to Texas Iceman, uh, Texas Thunderstruck yet as well?
6: Yeah, correct, yes. Yep. Mm.
0: So where have, how yeah, many sorry. buyers have you had from the UK or just you know, globally uh, in, in total?
6: Oh, look, with Texas Iceman, I don't know the exact amount of straws that were sent overseas, but it would be in uh, probably close to 1,000, and last year was the first year. Uh, and uh and it's ramping up this year so the interest for ice in those um countries have been been very strong and also a lot of interest regarding the last bull that we purchased thunderstruck we've sent some of his genetics into south africa at the moment so that's that's really good and we've got some orders to go into into europe and the uk so we'll see how that goes
0: And one of those buyers was Rawburn Angus, who I understand your dad got to meet up with the team there while he was overseas and a new partnership was born.
6: Yeah, yeah, very exciting. So dad spent a a day with John Elliott and his family from Rawburn Angus, actually sent me some photos uh, after he finished and said, wow, what a beautiful, a beautiful herd, beautiful cows. And we already knew about um, the Rawburn Angus heard and it was quite exciting that that Dad was so chuffed about the genetics there and that and that opened the door for us to communicate more. Especially that they were happy with using Ice man over there, so that uh, that was the start of of our partnership and our journey together, which I think will be uh, long lasting for sure.
0: It sounds like Rawborn Angus are quite the globe trotters as well when it comes to finding the perfect genetics for their operation. What feedback did Mr Elliot give you that made an Australian company their pick of the world?
6: Oh, I think dad probably won him over. He's a bit of a character <laughs> and um, and they had a, they just had a really good time and connected, but he was very interested in our sustainable um, practices and becoming carbon neutral and what we're doing and, and our focus on genetics and our investment uh, in genetics and over the last few years we've invested heavily around Australia for some of the best genetics and he was uh, he was very interested in that and he was very interested in how we become s- more sustainable and carbon neutral and we were interested in his genetics because they're probably the most recognised and respected name in the Angus world and they've been breeding for well over a hundred years, quality stud Angus cows and and bulls.
0: So what will those Rawburn genetics bring to the Maccas operation?
6: A more sustainable animal. Our focus is sustainability and a part of that journey is creating an animal that is more sustainable. So an animal that is more fertile, an animal that has shorter gestation period, an animal that converts feed into weight gain faster and they've got 14 out of 15 uh, in the UK for feed efficiency uh, traits so they're they're top in the world for feed efficiency if we can introduce that into our herd where you know our, our animals are conver- converting feed to weight gain faster uh, that's definitely a win for us it's a win for our customers who purchase our genetics, or people that purchase our our females at our, our female sale, there's also a win for the environment because that animal is uh, much more productive. And that's what it's all about now.
2: Robert McKenzie is the director of Hunter-based Maccas Australian Black Angus Beef and he was speaking there to Amelia Bernasconi. It's 21 minutes past 12.
4: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
7: Hello, I'm Sally Sarah. Join me for The World Today. Preventable tragedy. A third of Australian school students failing to read. NATO reacts angrily after Donald Trump encourages Russia to attack any NATO countries which don't spend enough on defence. And political turmoil in Pakistan as independent candidates supporting former Prime Minister Imran Khan win, but opponent Nawaz Sharif claims victory. Those stories and much more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. And on the
2: Country Hour, a ram from the southeast has topped the Armadale ram sale, selling for $16,000. The ultra-fine 13.2 micron ram is from Peter and Jane Lett's uh, Conrain Merino stud at Berridale. Peter Lett told Josh Becker that it's a good sign for 2024 and the ram sales to come.
8: Yes, Josh had a, a good couple of days at Armadale and uh, we're lucky enough to top the Armadale sale with a lovely ultra fine ram we've managed to get $16,000 for him
5: and describe the ram what sort of micron wool are we talking about
8: uh he was actually very low mate he was 13 too. so um yeah exceptionally low but a, a beautiful 80s count all over him and a lovely big productive ram for that micron
5: and was it a surprise for you topping the, the sale or was this ram a, a real standout in your mind
8: no, he was definitely a standout, and we'd had, um, we'd had a bit of interest before we went as well. So, yeah, you never can be you know, totally confident, but we are quietly confident. We, uh, you know, we had a, a, pretty good, uh, a pretty good ram and a, and a bit of support to go with it, so it was uh, looking pretty good.
5: Mm. Uh, what's the mood like uh, more generally amongst uh, those that are looking to invest in merino genetics at this point in the season? Um, where are things at in your mind?
8: Well, everyone's seemed pretty positive up there, and and especially around home here. I think a lot to do with the great sort of uh, last few months season-wise. Um, that's taken a lot of pressure off people. But admittedly, the wall markets had a little bit of a a little bit of a stag in the last couple of weeks, but it was pretty strong leading up to Christmas. And the agents I'm talking to uh, are quietly confident that that, that sort of uh, hit bottom, and and we're right to go again. And on the on the flip side I suppose the the mutton and the lamb have, have definitely got back in the in the in the right track now and um and same with the cattle. So yeah, I think every, everything together um it's looking pretty good and I know i uh, talked to a couple of the fellas that have had sales up in New England and, and they're pretty uh, pretty positive what with how the sales had gone.
5: You mentioned just how I guess super fine or ultra fine that wool uh, is off that particular ram um and there is a real gulf in the in the market between the, the the super fine uh prices and and what some farmers are getting for crossbred prices and that's been evident over the last couple of years
8: yeah that's true Josh but then on the flip side the the crossbred fellas know that you know they're making a good product with their lambs and yes admittedly the the wool's not their main focus where for us it is I mean they they turn a good lamb off and you know, uh, they expect to make pretty good money off that. So I don't really think they they tend to think they're going to make a fortune out of the crossbred wool.
5: So do you think this bodes well for the Monero ram-selling season that will be coming up later this year?
8: I oh, definitely, mate. I think the, um, there's a pretty buoyant mood, as I said, with the season, looking uh, uh, an absolute picture at the moment. And, um, yeah, quite a few people we're talking to are, I think you're joining a few extra years. So, uh, yeah, I think it's all looking, uh, looking pretty positive
5: at this stage. Yeah. What's your sense of the, the stocking rates at the moment across the Monero? Because it has was a really challenging end to 2023 and then now there's more feed than anyone knows what to do with.
8: Exactly, mate. If you'd have, if you'd have asked me that question or any, anyone that question uh, about uh, November, we'd have all said we're, we're dramatically bloody uh, overstocked. And they, I think, they're exactly the reverse. I think you talk to anybody and they'd say, I think we're a bit underdone, we've got plenty of grass, but it's a nice feeling to be heading, you know, uh, into sort of, you know, an, an autumn and, and into the winters we get with, with plenty of cover. So uh, it, it's all looking pretty good at the moment.
2: Peter Lett from the Conrain. Marino starts speaking there to Josh Becker. It's 26 minutes past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour
7: on ABC Radio New South Wales.
2: The most comprehensive survey into farm crime in Australia has started to release some preliminary results and it suggests that farm thefts are up also we're hearing that anecdotally as well aren't we but the uh, survey conducted by the university of new england center for rural criminology needs more responses project lead dr kyle mulrooney says this survey is needed to help fill in some knowledge gaps some big knowledge gaps when it comes to rural crime prevalence across the country
3: the center for rural criminology captured the new south wales farm crime survey in 2021 Barring that, there's a little bit of data out of Victoria and really nothing for the rest of the country. Uh, we work fairly closely with the rural crime prevention team here in New South Wales through them and through our own research. We know that farm crime and rural crime in Australia is a, is a national problem. It's not isolated to New South Wales and Victoria, not by a long shot. And so we wanted to try to understand this issue on a national level and really, really collect that important data that will help us address the issue in other states where we really have a, a dark figure and, and a no clear understanding of the problem in these areas. But we know anecdotally and we know from victim experiences uh, covered in the media, and addressed by the police, that it, that it's a, it's, a, it's a big issue for farmers uh, all around Australia.
4: And how
1: much longer of the study is left to go and uh, have you been getting enough responses so far?
3: Yeah, so the response rate has been absolutely fantastic. I think naturally so the uptake has been in uh, those larger states uh, like New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, where we have uh, a bit of information. So we're leaving the survey open a little bit longer in the hopes that we can collect more data out of other states, uh, especially South Australia, Tasmania, Western Australia, Northern Territories, uh, where we just don't have a historical picture, and so we want to make sure that we're capturing that with sufficient detail, uh, specifically sufficient statistical detail. Our goal here is to understand farm crime at a national level, but also to understand it at an individual level, and that is at the individual level uh, of the state. So we want to understand what does farm crime look like in South Australia. It's important that we we understand these unique pictures so that we address it appropriately, so that we can empower policymakers, police and other actors that, that engage with these issues, including the farmers themselves, with the information they need on the ground to actually address these issues.
1: As the survey is ongoing, you might not know yet, but would you suspect there are any major differences when it comes to farm crime between the states?
3: Um, I think you'll find differences based upon a variety of variables. So what is farmed, what are the predominant uh, uh, farming uh, industries, of course, will we'll highlight various aspects and, and, and various offenses that are unique to certain, certain areas. I mean, you find that even within states, uh, you know, where there's high levels of different types of farming. There'll be local characteristics that would very much shape that, proximity to major cities, different experiences across such a large country in terms of weather-related events like drought and these types of things that will definitely be attuned to when we're t- interpreting the data. But I have no doubt that what you'll find is that farm crime is a problem across each and every state and, and amongst farmers there, that they're facing these issues, that they have been facing them for a long time. And so I think that will be uh, an, an unfortunate but universal finding.
1: And are there any preliminary results you can share?
3: Out of the ones that we can sort of definitively, in terms of statistical representation, talk about, unfortunately, it looks like business as usual in those states. For instance, the New South Wales Farm Crime Survey in 2021, if we look at the New South Wales data for this national survey, of which we have a lot, we actually see elevations in victimisation. So we see a greater number of farmers actually reporting victimisation. So New South Wales Farm Crime Survey around 81% reported experiencing victimization in their lifetime. Um, that is, they were a victim of crime on their farm. And in this survey, we're looking at uh, the higher 80s now. We see repeat victimizations quite high, so farmers experiencing crimes on numerous occasions across the lifetime. We've also looked at elevations of specific types of crimes in the last two years, particularly diesel theft and these types of issues, which again relate to changes in the economy, you know, wars (laughs) the world over caused diesel prices to increase here. And you see a subsequent uh, spike in these types of thefts. So right now, it's all preliminary as we haven't closed the survey. So we'll have data, of course, still pouring in from uh, New South Wales and elsewhere. But it's looking like uh, what we hypothesized that it would be an issue and you would see growth in, in, in other areas. And I mean, that aligns with a lot of the The anecdotal data that we've been getting, a lot of the conversations with the police we've had or the media stories where you're seeing, particularly if we home in on stock theft, quite high-level, sophisticated thefts of tens, hundreds, and sometimes thousands of livestock uh, missing. and That's sort of bearing out in the data, these types of experiences around the quintessential uh, rural crime that is stock theft, but also, like I said, diesel theft break and enter into properties, trespass, illegal hunting, all these issues uh, once again appear uh, very apparent and considerable for farmers across uh, across the country.
2: Maybe that's your experience too. You can always send us a text. Uh, I've got a few texts on the Biodiversity uh, Trust as well. That was Senior Lecturer in Criminology at the University of New England and Co-Director of the Centre for Rural Criminology, Dr. Kyle Mulrooney, speaking to Elsie LC- Adamo, you're listening to The Country Hour, 28 minutes to one. Uh, I'll get to some of those texts about the uh, Biodiversity Trust in a moment, uh, as well as there's a few of them coming through. And you might want to text us about farm theft if you've experienced it yourself. And what the outcome was. I know some people have uh, raised some questions about uh, reporting it and then um, uh, they feel as though nothing's been done in regards to those reports. Zero four six seven nine double two six eight four is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. Uh, but uh, right now let's find out what's happening in the news. Adam stories here. Good afternoon.
9: Afternoon, Michael. Um, more bonded asbestos has been found and this time it's at a public school in uh, Liverpool West. It's going to be closed until Wednesday, Um, so this is just the latest in a long line of discoveries since it was found in the uh, Roselle Parklands, so I think, by the looks of things, we've got a way to go before Mm. we uh, find out the extent of where this stuff has been uh, placed this was only discovered uh, during an inspection on uh, Saturday morning mm, yeah uh so the premier Chris Min says there will be a f- uh, full disclosure about how much uh, contaminated asbestos how about how the uh, contaminator uh, the asbestos came to be delivered to the primary school um, probably they, in a truck, probably in a truck <laughs> and then yeah dumped. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, there's been a review, uh, into, uh, home affairs contracts, uh, that were awarded to run Australia's offshore, uh, asylum seeker processing centres, um, Turns out they've been awarded to companies with links to suspected arms and drug smuggling and corruption uh, operations in general. Uh, It was a review carried out by uh, Chris Richardson. Uh, It found coordination and communication flows within uh, home affairs were inadequate, uh, which led to this uh, stuff going on. However, the review found no evidence of any ministerial involvement or deliberate wrongdoing on the part of the departments. Uh, But the Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, says someone will be held accountable for what's going on. I think uh, in one instance, uh, one uh, person whose company was awarded a contract uh, had a profit margin of something like $130 million or something, which is not, I don't think, a regular thing in a government government contract. No, probably not advisable Mm, in that situation. Uh, Now down in Victoria, the uh, search for Samantha Murphy in uh, Ballarat continues, although they've scaled down the size of the operation, the number of volunteers, Uh, police uh, have actually scaled it down on Saturday, police said the search would continue with uh, reduced resources, Uh, the missing persons unit uh, is now taking over case because they've found absolutely nothing, Mm. nothing uh, Mm. to lead them to where uh, she may have uh, gotten to.
2: Yeah. So what are um, what are they thinking? She was abducted, or a medical they, episode, or that she's disappeared of no, her I, own volition, or this is the, no, these are the Nothing pointing yeah. to anything. Yeah, no, they yeah. don't have any evidence of anything, do the they? The only
9: they've got the only CCTV footage they found is her leaving, basically her home, mm. and then that's it. That's it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, The sale of Sarah Lee is expected to be finalised today with the uh, new owners meeting staff. Yes, (laughs) the sweet treats will continue to be stocked. My son will be happy about that. Absolutely, for those who don't make our own desserts these days. (laughs) And it's halftime in the Super Bowl. Uh, That's uh, between uh, Taylor Swift and Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> Trump's leading 10-3 at the moment at halftime The uh, San
2: Francisco 49ers uh, Yeah, the 49ers Nancy Pelosi to uh, t- have something to say about that She's yeah. from San Francisco Okay, mm.
9: yeah mm. Uh, So Usher's ushering in the halftime <laughs> You like that? Oh, yeah. yeah, the Good halftime one. entertainment as
2: we speak so That's right i got to go Usher yeah. You've got to go and see it you got to go watch <laughs> yeah. it It's on now I'm sure it'll be repeated <laughs> 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 Kansas City 3 and 49ers, 49ers. 10 And 49ers. it's halftime entertainment With yeah. Usher at yeah. the yeah. moment moment yep yeah. and no doubt there'll be you know a like american anthem and things like that as well sung uh, by someone
9: i think that was at the start at the start oh okay. yeah all right no, I missed that.
2: <laughs> See, you know, I'm not taking that much what, notice, what, am I? What game have you been where it's, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's been
9: sung at halftime? That's right. That's what's the cricket. Just in case <laughs> you missed the, miss the first I don't one. watch the
2: Super Bowl that much, you? <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Having Adam. Having
9: said that, halftime is always a celebration of America. So. Well, a lot
2: of people rave about the halftime.
9: It rates higher than the yeah, actual game. I know. You know the study, you know, and this is on a general AFL game. Hmm over the three or a half hours or four hours of coverage, hmm. 18 minutes of actual game time right. is shown on the TV.
2: Is that right? Yeah. 18 minutes? <laughs> 18 minutes.
10: <laughs> Crikey. Yeah. How,
9: how does
2: that
10: yeah. work? That's, because of actually, all the time? That's, that's thing.
9: all the timeouts. Oh, yeah, so so, bo- that's find that's cr- basically that's, counting actual play that's from the, I, when the ball is actually that's moving.
2: Why I find it so boring. Yeah. As I soon do. as the
9: ball or the play goes down, yeah. they're cutting away. But I find anything ba- else but the field.
2: I find baseball boring as well.
9: Oh, geez, jeez, i not say that too late around here. There's a few... Uh, Are there? Oh, yeah,
11: that's
9: I'd all just, right. I'll, um, there's
2: like so many breaks and whatever. I yeah. suppose you can sit... Because you've got to have time to sit there and eat your hot dogs, drink your beer oh, and man, stuff we like
9: that. We've cricket matches back in five days, so <laughs> I
2: don't know. Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's some, normally some action. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah, I know. At some know. point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can talk about Oh, uh, well, now. yes, yes. All right, thanks for okay. that, Adam. I'll let you get back yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, I know you're missing usher, 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 you know. Man. Yeah, I know, he's a big fan. It's uh, 22 minutes to one here on the New South Wales country. Uh, let's find out what's happening with the weather details. And Stephen Stefanak at the Bureau. Good afternoon.
12: Good afternoon, Michael.
2: So benign weather conditions, so there might be a change on the way, is that right?
12: Yes, that's the main feature, the frontal system, which will move through during Tuesday and Wednesday. Ahead of it, we'll have some hot temperatures ahead of that frontal system. But as it moves through, we'll generate some showers and storms across the state as well. And, uh, of course, behind the change, we'll get some uh, cooler conditions. So uh, some showers and storms, we're watching over the next couple of days. they are mostly be scattered showers and thunderstorms, not that widespread rain that we had a lot, uh, the other week.
2: Not too severe?
12: Severe thunderstorms are possible as it moves through. Tomorrow, might get some gusts of wind in the south uh, with, it, uh, with those storms. And then on, on um, the following day, Wednesday, uh, at central eastern parts of the state, uh, including around Sydney and the Hunter, might, might see some severe storms as well. So possibly with severe storms and uh, along with that, but, um, yeah, moving through over a two-day period mostly.
2: So covering a fairly large area then, but then those storms would be hit and miss.
12: Yes, that's right. It would be mostly hit and miss. So as the front enters the west tomorrow, mostly in the sort of southwest of the state and the southern inland, um, I think most locations will see less than 5 or 10 millimetres uh, and some places might miss out. Uh, pretty much as well uh, across some western parts of the state, particularly in the northwest, where there will be less frequent those storms tomorrow. Um, of course, there's isolated falls possible, you know, in that 10 to 30 millimetre range with a with a thunderstorm, but that would be very isolated. As it moves across the east on Wednesday, many areas sort of around that sort of central Hunter coastal parts, you know, may see 10 to 20 millimetres there. Um, some models seem to shore up, but they'll see some, you know, uh, totals there a little a little bit wetter than what we're going to see inland. Uh, that's for Wednesday, and uh, and maybe some isolated heavier falls of 50 mils plus with thunderstorms in that sort of central eastern part of the state. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, that's the sort of falls we'd be expecting.
2: Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, as you say, a bit hidden miss, and it's hard to predict where they're going to be. Uh, and warmer temperatures in the lead-up to that, um, mainly for the inland?
12: Yeah, mainly for the, uh, the south and the west of the state, so and particularly in the southwest where today maximum temperatures in the mid 30s to possibly 40 degrees at a few locations and the same tomorrow before that front moves in later in the day tomorrow and, and brings those cooler conditions later to the southwest tomorrow
2: mm, okay all right we'll uh, we'll be watching that and watching those storms uh thanks for that Stephen. you're welcome it's uh 19 minutes to one here on the new south wales country hour
7: you're listening to the country hour
2: on abc radio new south wales Quite a lot of texts coming through. Someone's texted in the Biodiversity Trust uh, saying, Farmers, beware, check your title and be certain of what you're signing up to. Uh, but then uh, this one uh, from uh, Justin says, We've had an imperpetuity agreement with the Biosecurity Conservation Trust for about eight hectares of our riverfront land on the Dorigo Plateau since 2021. And they highly recommend it to other farmers to have a look at it as an option for any land they have of high biodiversity value. Uh, also on rural crime, uh, they're saying uh, crime original in regional New South Wales, some policing at least six years when approaching police regarding crimes like scams and other white collar crime. The experience f- from the police is we don't have time to look into your case, says uh, sad Mark from Warhope. Uh, and he says, uh, does rural neighbourhood crime watch initiatives, do they even exist? A uh, similar one from Dave in Trundle, a slow response late, lack of genuine interest, lack of follow-up reporting on investigating officer uh, in regards to rural crime. Uh, poor service is common in rural New South Wales from police in general. Uh, and he says that's why he thinks that many farmers don't bother in reporting those crimes. Tony from Hilston, same thing, no point reporting the crime because the cops do nothing. And um, Trevor's texted in on the biodiversity uh, trust issue saying that the current loss of habitat across Australia, approximately 2,000 hectares per day, the biodiversity trust may run out of land to protect if the current laws uh, continue to allow land clearing to continue. So uh, that one from Trevor, those thoughts from Trevor, quite a few texts coming through and we hope to get through uh, to a few more of them. Shortly on the program, you're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour, and it's uh, coming up to 17 minutes to one. Well, the uh, Glenna showground uh, over the weekend uh, was a pretty busy place. A busy weekend, the local sh- show running all weekend, and the pavilion was filled with record baking entries. Also, the cattle classes also saw record numbers when it came to the prime cattle section. It was one of the best lineups in recent years, they say, and uh, committee member Shad Bailey uh, was talking about it with our reporter, Lara Webster.
10: We're really, really pleased. Um, to have uh, once again that many people, you know, our our uh, events side of things
3: was uh, up by fifteen percent in entries this year.
2: Sorry, that's I've uh, gone to the wrong audio there. This is this is uh, the uh, this is Shad Bailey talking to Lara Webster now. There's
11: a tremendous lineup of um, prime cattle here this morning, from both uh, replacement females to uh, to, to bullocks. Um, considering the seasonal conditions we had pre-Christmas, um, as you've noticed, that some of these cattle present very, very good.
13: Well, how good is this lineup in terms of years gone by?
11: Uh, I think it's since I've been coming, it's the best uh, quality lineup we've seen, especially female-wise. We're a little bit uh, back on our steer numbers, but but as good as females, as you see some uh, from some of our best reputable breeders uh, throughout the district.
13: So, if you look uh, at those seasonal conditions you mentioned, you know pre-Christmas. Things were pretty dry and certainly even now I've heard in patches it's still dry, dependent on where you are across the tablelands. But overall, how have the seasonal conditions from you know, pre-Christmas to post-Christmas played out?
11: Uh, definitely pre-Christmas, uh, back end of winter through our, our early spring months is as tough as we've seen. Uh, a lot of our producers you know, starting, especially surface water-wise, was worse than back in 17, 18 and 19. So um, very, very tough. A lot of females you know, had been fed and so forth. Moving into uh, to 2024, uh, once again very very patchy. Just uh, as early as uh, last Tuesday, um, up to 186 mils uh, in the district. Um, you go three k's away and we're back to four and five mils. So still some um, some vendors have, uh, are still lacking water. Um, the country looks tremendous from the roadside, but we're still not a lot of bulk. And we know for our district that uh, we can get very cold very quickly. So there still is a few nervous uh, people, you know, coming into our colder months.
13: Well, when you look at these cattle here, uh, a lot of work, a lot of time goes into these cattle. Are there what stood out to you? Are there any lots that have really stood out?
11: Oh no! I think it's just a credit to all our vendors. Obviously, being a, a, a local stock and station agent, um, a lot of the cattle here are from our uh, from our own, own clients. So, uh, moving into our weaner sale, especially the female side, we can see some very very good calves, and we look forward to uh, to selling these calves in March and April. And obviously, on the back of uh, our current prices, it, it looks exciting. So, yeah, I just as I said earlier, it, it's just a, a true credit to all our producers to what they've come through to how they presented the cattle here this morning.
13: Prime cattle committee member Shad Bailey, and right. Beside the cattle were the prime lambs, which Chief Steward Kurt Parker said were also outstanding.
14: Yeah, absolutely. We've had some uh, really good entrants today, about uh, 80-odd head penned up, ready to go. Um, So the judge will be looking for uniformity, uh, nice skin type and just that overall carcass lambs that are a really nice attribute to the prime lamb industry.
13: So how is quality looking for this show?
14: Fantastic. Look, obviously the weights have been up this year. We've had some pretty good rains in areas which has driven those weights up. But uh, all in all, the the quality is really, really good.
13: Yeah, we've certainly seen, I mean, uh, you know, last year, as you well know, the the prices we saw in the doldrums, but... We have come back to 2024 and it's, I think, I'm told, even uh, quite a turnaround that's surprised agents as well. Um, But how much is that more positive sentiment playing into things?
14: Yeah, really, really much a very positive sentiment. Even the mood today, everyone's talking, you know, that $7. So hopefully we can get that figure today with our live auction. Um, but just the general mood and the positivity in that uh, sheep market lift over that 2024 uh, break's been awesome. There is some standout lots but look it's a real credit to the vendors for supplying the, the quality of lambs that are there. Um, they're all presented beautifully they're all got a nice little crutch.
13: We were mentioning two seasonal conditions obviously have been up and down we've you know end of 24 we started to get some rain but Uh, it's been patchy right across the tablelands wherever you are. So how's that played into the show as well and what you've got there today?
14: Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing uh, rainfall variations from 5 to 150 mils just in the Gleninys district. So a radius of of 30 kilometres to see those huge variations, I think that's uh, actually put our numbers back a little bit. Um, Eastern side of town, we've got some flies, so that's... um, Knock some competitors out, normal, traditional competitors. But um, all in all, I think the variations just drove those numbers back a little bit. Prime Lamb Chief Steward, Kurt Parker, speaking there to Lara Webster. In the Stud Cattle
2: section, the 2024 Supreme Beef Exhibit was awarded to bar Sweet Violet, exhibited by the Morgan family. The Supreme Champion Cow was up against the Supreme Beef Bull uh, Shandon Stetson, exhibited by the Beaumont family from Dorigo. And in the Glen Innes show, Brahmin feature. The Supreme Brahman exhibit was picked up by 2AM uh, Brahmin Stud from in Queensland it's uh coming up to uh 11 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Let's uh, get the latest on the anthrax case. Five cattle have died from anthrax in Victoria's northeast. The affected property north of Shepparton's been quarantined and Agriculture Victoria says the carcasses will be destroyed while remaining cattle on the property are being vaccinated. Victorian Deputy Chief Veterinarian Officer Dr Cameron Bell says anthrax can affect livestock from Victoria right up to Queensland. His staff will conduct surveillance in northeast Victoria and they have Ruled out vaccinating other livestock in the region and beyond?
15: We received the reports on Thursday afternoon, and to date, uh, five cattle deaths have been recorded on the property. Uh, but thank the early reporting by the, the owner and, and the owner's um, veterinary practitioner, AgVic um, was able to undertake the necessary steps to control the spread of infection. And, and, and since that initial de- uh, or that notification, um, we've quarantined the property and, and undertaken a number of measures to try and um, contain the spread. Um, all the livestock on the, on the affected property have now been vaccinated and carcasses um, are in the process of being disposed of by burning and the contaminated sites where the carcasses were are being um, disinfected. So they're really key um, um, response activities that agvic um, undertake and, and we're certainly well practiced given the um, number of times we we've we've seen anthrax particularly in recent decades um what what's also important here beyond the the boundaries of the affected property are to um, undertake surveillance and uh, andculture Victoria staff have been contacting livestock producers in the surrounding area um just checking in with them. Um, raising awareness, checking if there's any unusual deaths occurring, and undertaking risk assessments for their particular situations. And where um, there is a, um, a an assessment made and um, a, and a risk determined, then vaccination may be undertaken on on livestock like of those properties. And we do use um, vaccination. Um, in, in the face of an outbreak, but also um, as a follow-up, particularly in these higher-risk areas. Anthrax is a um, disease caused by a bac- bacterium. It's quite unique in that it the- can survive in the soil for decades by forming um, spores. And it's a disease that can affect broad range of animals, but typically in Victoria we see it affecting uh, cattle and sheep. Um, it, it does present a low risk to humans, with the greatest risk being those who um, handle dead livestock, such as farmers, vets and, and knackery workers. But it is a, um, an, an infection that we do see from time to time, and, and that's because of this um, unique feature of it to develop spores and survive for a long time and then um, infect animals under certain conditions.
2: There's an anthrax belt, isn't there, Cameron Bell? In, uh, in Australia up and down the East Coast. Is that the only places that you see anthrax cases, though?
15: You, you're right about that um, anthrax belt and probably representing historical movements of cattle over the last um, sort of 100-plus years. No, certainly in Victoria, historically, we've had to ride across the state, um, more so typically in, 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 in recent decades in northern Victoria. Um, but really, it, it's a it's an important reminder that you know any unexplained sudden deaths anywhere in Victoria should be um, investigated and have anthrax ruled out
2: it's uh, dr Cameron Bell there speaking with Warwick long and of course there have been anthrax cases uh, in the past in New South Wales as well it's uh, coming up to uh, seven minutes to one it's time to go to markets uh,
10: 64,
2: first up let's go to bendigo sheep and lambs and with the details there here's jenny kelly
4: Good afternoon. Sticky sale here on heavy and trade lambs today as the buying ranks thinned out with two major exporters not operating, no supermarkets and other processes tending to just poke along. Prices for heavy lambs were cheaper by a good $20 and demand got weaker as the sale progressed to the point the last agent was passing in some good lambs. There were 17,000 lambs today, up 2,000 head. Export lambs over 30 kilos carcass weight 179 to a top of 240. Most sales 200 to 230. Heavy lambs 26 to 30 kilos 160 to 198 to average 180 dollars. The ballpark cost for all these lambs 620 to 650 cents. Trade lambs to processors were backed by 5 to 12. Best 24 to 26 kilos 151 to 168. There was still some good restocking support for store lambs at 60 to 110 for decent light types, and 120 to 140 for grown lambs with frame. Sheep sale was cheaper again. It was light mutton which took a fair cut today. Heavy use 76 to 95 dollars. Light sheep 30 to 60. Most mutton 2.20 to 260 cents Jenny Kelly for MLA.
2: Let's go to Corowa sheep and lambs and Caroline Ronald.
16: Good afternoon agents penned another 14255 sheep and lambs with a beautiful run of trade and heavy shorn lambs on offer most regular bars were present however not op- all operating with restockers stepping up today prices were softer by 10 to 20 dollars shorn medium and heavy trade lambs 10 to 20 dollars easier 126 to 158 to average 620 cents per kilo carcass weight heavy lambs 27 to 30 kilos, sold from 120 12- 66 to 206, slipping $18. Extra heavy export types were $4 softer, 213 to $218. A handful of light and medium trade new season lambs sold... Four to five dollars easier. One hundred and twenty-six to one hundred and thirty-eight light lambs. The processor seventy-one to one hundred and seventeen. Restockers operated between fifty and one hundred and forty dollars. With feeder lamps selling from eighty-six to one hundred and thirty-four. Mutton prices fluctuated. With heavy crossbred ewes gaining eleven dollars, ninety-four to one hundred and five. Extra heavy merinos were three dollars dearer, making up to one hundred and fifteen dollars. I'm Caroline Ronald for MLA at Corowa. Let's go
2: to dubbo sheep and Lambs now.
9: good afternoon. Lamb numbers increased slightly for twenty two and a half thousand lambs. There was an improvement in the quality with more hard-fed heavy lambs offered. Trade runs remained limited and mixed, and buyers are being more selective so far, the two score processing lambs are six dollars cheaper and range from seventy to one hundred and fourteen. Trade lambs are twelve to fifteen softer with the twenty to twenty four kilo lambs ranging from one twenty to one seventy. They're averaging six fifty to six seventy for the better end. 24 to 26 reached $190 and $9 cheaper on average, but the shorn, hard-fed lambs are close to firm. Heavyweights are back six, 178 to 217, with extra heavies reaching 219. They're averaging 670 to 700 cents. The balance of the lambs and
2: 18,000 mutton are still to be sold. And this has been Graham Richard. Let's go to Wagga Cattle now and Leanne Dax.
7: Good afternoon. Prices soften amidst a surge in supply, with agents presenting their largest offering yet, totalling 7,350 head. Export cattle faced downward pressure with heavy steers and bullocks slipping 30 cents and cows were back 40. Heavy steers and bullocks were trading in a range of 270 to 314, while heavy cows fetched prices from 238 to 264. Feeder buyers exhibited waning interest, resulting in a 13 cent drop for medium weight feeder steers, which were selling between 310 and 371. The market also saw reduced competition for secondary heifers destined for feedlots. A price correction of 20 to 30 cents with sales ranging from 255 to 316. Trade cattle weighing 400 to 500 kilos were also impacted with prices ranging from 258 to 290. Overall, the market experienced a softening trend across various categories, reflecting the dynamics of supply and demand. I'm Leanne Ducks for MLA. Let's go to Forbes
2: Cattle Now and Crystal Ridley.
7: Numbers eased this sale with agents yarding 1,515 head. Quality was mixed with some good runs of well-bred cattle on offer along with the secondary types. The usual bars are present and competing in a cheaper market. yearling steers to feed slipped 15 to 20 cents to sell from 294 to 380. The finished types to processors sold from 260 to 308. The heifer portion to feed was back 20 cents to range in price from 285 to 312, while those to processors were back 10 cents receiving from 265 to 318. Heavy steers and bullocks sold from 270 to 300, while grown heifers received from 260 to 290. Cows fell 10 to 20 cents with heavy two score from 226 to 236, three and four score receiving from 237 to 253. The best heavy bull reached 238. This has been Crystal Ridley at Forbes from LA.
2: And let's go to Tamworth Cattle now and James Armitage.
10: Good afternoon. A reduced penning of 2,855 heads saw more negative price changes than have been seen over the recent weeks, mostly in the female cattle. A full field of buyers in front of a mostly good quality well-finished offering. Lightweight wean and steers to restockers reached 444 cents a kilo. The heifers were cheaper, 2.70 to 3.38. Medium weight yearling steers to feed saw a slightly cheaper trend, 3.30 to 388 cents A similar trend on the heavyweights, 3.40 to 3.88, with heavy trade 3.38 to 344 cents Medium and heavyweight yielding heifers to feed also sold to cheaper trends of 5 to 8 cents, 2.70 to 3.37. Ground steers to feed over 500 kilos were a shade cheaper, 2.97 to 3.40. Those to process saw demand fall with trends as much as 25 cents cheaper, 2.60 to 3.04. Greater falls in the ground heifers with sea muscle 3 and 4 scores, 2.20 to 2.75. Cows sold to cheaper trends of 20 to 25 cents, with medium weight two and three scores one seventy to two twenty five, the heavy three and four scores sold from two ten to two hundred and sixty six cents a kilo. James Armitage from MLA in Tamworth,
2: and that's the market information for today. And uh, on the rural crime, Greg says police in rural New South Wales have large areas to cover, must make it hard. They. Uh uh, have to look after the townspeople but the crimes carried out on properties are also uh, maybe uh, a couple of hundred kilometres away so he says it makes it difficult with the staffing levels they've got but uh, someone else has texted in to say when they reported a rural crime they were made to uh, feel like the victim when they were grilled by the officer you're listening to the country hour it's heading up to news time